Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's time for Sorallo Sports Talk with Joe Sorallo. All right, it's time for Sorallo Sports Talk here on SportsMap Radio with me, Joe Sorallo. You're listening to the Believe Hour. That's Believe, B-L-E-A-V. Check out our website at Believe.com for the best podcasts out there. You name it, you've got it. A podcast on every team, every sport, every league, any topic, hobby, whatever you want to listen to, there's a good chance that Believe has a podcast for it. So make sure that you check us out at Believe dot com b-l-e-a-v let's kick off the believe hour it's Sorallo sports talk with me joe Sorallo. we've got a jam-packed hour on this saturday afternoon here on sports map radio leading you into the final four tonight we'll talk plenty of final four i'm gonna highlight this duke north carolina historic matchup will it be coach k's last game will north carolina play spoiler yet again for mike krzyzewski and the Duke Blue Devils. We've got a great guest lined up to join the show. ESPN's NFL analyst, former NFL quarterback Dan Orlovsky, will be joining us here on Sorallo Sports Talk. We're going to talk about the historic amount of quarterback movement the NFL has seen this season. We'll talk the AFC West. I mean, there's four teams who can legitimately win that division, undoubtedly the best division in football. And of course, One of Dan's many specialties, the NFL draft. We'll get to who he thinks the first quarterback taken off the board is. I can't wait. We'll get into the Bruce Arians news. Stepping down, retiring suddenly as head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then, before signing off, I'm going to give you my World Series prediction. Which baseball team I think will be crowned as champs in November. What I think that matchup will look like. You'll get it all. Before we sign off the air today during our hour together here on Sports Map Radio. So stick with me, Joe Sorallo, in this episode of Sorallo Sports Talk. You're listening to the Believe Hour on Sports Map Radio. We're back here on Sports Map Radio. You're listening to the Believe Hour on this Saturday afternoon. Joe Sorallo here with Sorallo Sports Talk, taking you through the hour. As I mentioned in that quick intro, ESPN's Dan Orlovsky will be joining me on the tail end of this episode. We're going to talk all things NFL quarterback movement. We're going to evaluate the current situation over in the AFC West. I mean, undoubtedly seems to be the toughest division in football on paper, at least where we stand right now. We're going to look ahead to the draft at the end of this month. Dan is the quarterback guru, looks at, evaluates more tape than anyone I've ever seen. So I'm going to get an understanding. We're going to get an understanding of what Dan sees in these quarterbacks and who's going to fall where when that domino will fall in the first place on April 28th, that Thursday night, the first round of the draft. But folks, this is our Final Four episode, right? We're leading into the Final Four just a couple of hours away from tip-off. Two incredible games, Villanova, Kansas, and then of course, the nightcap, North Carolina and Duke. Two Blue Bloods, two ACC I mean, forget the ACC, just two college hoops, historic powerhouses, and you couldn't script it any better. Coach K, in his final season, I mean, he has milked the heck 
out of this farewell tour. And UNC spoiled his final home game, his final game at Cameron Indoor Arena. Hubert Davis and his Tar Heels played spoiler. Will they do it again? Will North Carolina, the most hated, bitter rival of the Duke Blue Devils, not only end Coach K's home court career, but will they end his career all together? UNC has looked absolutely superb on their way to the Final Four. I mean, look, an eight seed never has any business being in the Final Four, right? They knocked off Marquette. That game wasn't even close in an 8-9 matchup. Those games are supposed to be coin flips. UNC ran them at the gym with almost a 30-point win. Then they beat Baylor, and they were running Baylor out of the gym up until the officials decided, oh, wait, this game's in Fort Worth. We have to give we have to give the home team a chance in this one. You had a really questionable ejection. Baylor got back in it. UNC recovered, won in overtime, won in instant classic against UCLA. That Sweet 16 matchup was, I mean, the entire Sweet 16 was absolutely phenomenal, but that Sweet 16 matchup in particular was sensational. And then, of course, ending the fan favorite run, right? The St. Peter's Peacocks, you love them, I love them. America fell in love with Shaheen Holloway's team. That game was never close. UNC with the 20-point win there. So what did they have to do to put an end to Duke's run? Another potential magical run. I mean, maybe not as magical as St. Peter's, but I mean, one heck of a story. Coach K trying to end his career with a national title. One of the most talented or at least top-heavy rosters he's had. Paolo Banquero seems to be a shoe-in to be a top-five pick. Maybe even the top pick in the upcoming NBA draft. But you look at the pieces around him and Wendell Moore and Roach and Mark Williams down low. I mean, I can't wait to see this battle of the bigs down low, right? Because Williams has been bullying people, but Armando Baycott for UNC is the ultimate bully. Now you look at the last time these two squared off, right? I just mentioned it, UNC ending Coach K's Cameron indoor career and Baycott had a hell of a game. He was UNC's leading scorer, 23 points, seven boards. But what really jumps off the stat sheet the most looking at that game is his efficiency. He was 10 of 11 from the floor. Williams couldn't stop him. Now, Williams, look, in and of his own right, he had a great game as well. He put up a double-double. He went out there. He out-rebounded Baycott. I mean, you know, he won the battle of the boards down low. UNC was plus three in rebounds, but Williams had more than anyone else out there. But Armando Baycott's doing something else. And look, I know St. Peter's is a smaller team, an undersized team. They're a mid-major, right? They have no business, in theory, being on the same court as UNC. He still put up a 20-20 game. I mean, I don't care who you're playing. You go out there and you put up 20 points and grab 22 boards, you're something special. I mean, you look at his rebounding this tournament. First off, double-double every single game. But it's not just a double-double. The guy's averaging 16 and 16. I mean, he's not just going out there and bullying people. He's dominating people. He's imposing his will on people. You know, he's listed at 6'10", 240, right? I don't think he's an ounce under 260. The kid is NBA ready. His body is just absolutely imposing something you don't see too much anymore. I mean, you look at the guys on Duke who are big, right? Williams, he's a true big, right? The seven footer. Boncaro's 6'10", but you know, he's got the finesse aspect of his game. Whereas Baycott plays old fashioned bully ball. And if you look at these two teams, 
it's going to be starting five versus starting five pound for pound, right? You know, Duke runs a six-man rotation. North Carolina with Puff Johnson coming off the bench in very limited minutes. I mean, there are some games where he doesn't even touch double-digit minutes. I don't even say that they run six. UNC runs like a a five-and-a-half-man rotation. So you look pound for pound at these starters and the way they match up. Baycott and Williams down low. You know, as a former center myself back in my high school days, this is a matchup I drool over. And then you look at Boncaro and Manic and that matchup. And who's going to get hotter? Who's going to be streakier? Who's going to be the better shooter? Because those guys are your stretch fours, right? They are the modern day big guy. Baycott Williams, old school traditional body bangers. Manic and Boncaro are the shooters with great size as well. The guys who you know, can pose a double-double any night. Manic had one. He was UNC's leading rebounder the last time these two teams squared off. Boncaro's done a little less on the boards this season than maybe I'd like to see out of him. But they're both high-percentage shooters. They both can go out there and step outside. Manic with a little more efficiency from the perimeter. But at the end of the day, doesn't it come down to the guard play, right? I mean, you've got great bigs. But at the end of the day, in 2022's version of not just, I was going to say the NBA, but college hoops, basketball as a whole, what is Caleb Love going to do? Are we going to get UCLA Caleb Love? Who without him, UNC, forget winning the game, they don't stand a chance without the game that he had, 6 of 13 from beyond the arc, 30 point special. Or are we going to get the Baylor Caleb Love, who fouled out with five points, two assists? I mean, which Caleb Love are we going to get in this one? And similarly for Duke, which Jeremy Roach are we going to get? I, I mean, Roach, you know, don't forget, he came off the bench, gave meaningful minutes, 20 meaningful minutes, but off the bench the last time that these two faced off, and he actually had one of the better games of any Blue Devil. He had 15 off the bench. Are we going to get the Jeremy Roach, who was so instrumental, so key in Duke's round of 32 and Sweet 16 wins over Michigan State and Texas Tech? Or are we going to get Arkansas Jeremy Roach? Now, look, You know, Duke just, they were on another level against Arkansas, and the Razorbacks couldn't buy a bucket. The amount of missed layups that they had, stupid turnovers, just erratic. The inability to finish at the rim was really prominent for Arkansas in that game. But Jeremy Roach didn't do a whole lot. And if he doesn't do a whole lot in this game against North Carolina, well, I don't see Duke winning. So which Jeremy Roach are we going to get here? That's a huge question. I I mean, look, this is a game where, plain and simple, both teams need everything to go right. You know, North Carolina has to win down low. They have to shoot better. Duke has shot over 50% in every game this tournament. But Hubert Davis also has to earn this one, right? It's not just going to be the guys on the court. After all, we're celebrating the best college coach of all time. Like him or not, Coach K, he's the winningest coach in college history. Can Hubert Davis outcoach him? If you look at what Coach K did against Texas Tech and against Arkansas, he called that timeout early against Texas Tech. Team was down 10-2. Usually, college basketball teams try not to call a timeout in the first half until the final seconds, right? They try to use one in the first half, save them all for the second. Coach K burned it early, and then Duke responded and never looked back. The Arkansas game. Arkansas was down double digits early in the second half. They cut it to a five-point game, 53-48. to Coach K called timeout. I turned to everyone that I was watching the game with, and I said, this one's over. How did Duke respond with a 19-6 run? And they never looked back. It is really difficult to outcoach Mike Krzyzewski and Hubert Davis. If he wants to beat him a second time, play spoiler a second time, put a second damper 
on Coach K's final season on his farewell tour? Well, Hubert Davis, he was a great player. He's already shown he can be a really good coach. He's going to have to be a perfect coach in this game. There is zero room for error in this one. But ultimately, I think he's going to get it done. I like the Tar Heels in this one. I know we didn't talk about Kansas Villanova at all, but this is the game we're all coming for. And I'm going with the Tar Heels. I like the University of North Carolina to win this, to end Coach K's career. It may not be the storybook finish some of you want, but it's going to be the basketball game that I'm dying to see. Stick with me, Joe Sorallo. We're going to talk some NFL when we return here on the Believe Hour on Sports Map Radio. You're listening to Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo. Back here on Sports Map Radio on this Saturday afternoon, taking you into the Final Four. You're listening to Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo, here on the Believe Hour. Just wrapped up our Final Four talk, Duke, North Carolina, the full preview. And how about the latest story in the NFL? Just a couple of days ago, Bruce Arians shocking the football world with his retirement. I mean, I don't think anyone saw this one coming, right? It was Tom Brady a couple of months ago, whose retirement shocked the world. And, you know, we all know that only lasted 40 days. Now Brady's back. You're thinking Arians and Tampa Bay, they're gearing up for another Super Bowl run. The NFC is going to be the weakest. It has been in years. And Bruce Arians drops this bomb on everyone that he is retiring, handing the team off to Todd Bowles, which, by the way, is a move that I absolutely love. I'll admit, my first guess, thinking... Brady at quarterback, all these weapons on offense. My first guess was Byron Leftwich finally gets his shot, his crack at being an NFL head coach. There's no doubt he's next, right? Leftwich and Bowles were hanging on this staff as Arians' assistants. Obviously, Leftwich interviewed and, you know, I believe went pretty far with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, there's even talk that Jacksonville offered Leftwich the job and he pulled himself out of the running to remain with Tampa Bay, which, I mean, can you blame him? Right, You look at the Jacksonville Jaguars, one of the most defunct organizations in not just football, but all of sports. And I don't blame Leftwich for preferring to be an offensive coordinator and have a chance at winning the Super Bowl over being a head coach in a dumpster fire that is the Jacksonville Jaguars under Shad Khan. But Leftwich will still be the offensive coordinator this season. Todd Bowles gets his crack at being an NFL head coach once again after his tenure with the Jets and... I love this. You know, I've talked to a couple NFL players recently, and they all love Todd Bowles. I mean, he got glowing reviews from my man Lofa Tatupu, the former All-Pro Seattle Seahawks linebacker. Guys around this league love Todd Bowles. And if you look at what he did during his time as a head coach of the New York Jets, it wasn't as bad as people want to dramatically make it out to be. Todd Bowles won 10 games as the head coach of the New York Jets with Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. You know, I just talked about the Jacksonville Jaguars being a laughingstock, a dumpster fire, one of the worst-run organizations in football. The Jets ain't much better. I mean, Woody Johnson does not know how to be a competent owner of an NFL team. So for Todd Bowles to win 10 games, look, here's my stance on winning 10 games in the old 16-game NFL. You win 10 games, there's no shot in hell you should be missing the playoffs, right? If you win 10 games, that is an extraordinary feat, an extraordinary achievement, and you deserve to be a playoff team. Now, 10, 10 wins, you know, under the 17-game schedule, a little bit diluted, not as impressive, going 10-7, and seven, I can see you missing the playoffs. But 
to win 10 games and miss the playoffs is, or at least was, a travesty under a 16-game schedule. Todd Bowles did a fine job as head coach of the New York Jets, didn't have a whole lot to work with. So I can't wait to see what he has to work with now in Tampa, to see the weapons on both sides of the ball. Obviously, he's a defensive guru. You look at what he did against the Chiefs. You know, I had a 20th row view on the 20-yard line of that Super Bowl down in Tampa Bay when the Bucks beat the Chiefs 31-9. And Patrick Mahomes, that's the Super Bowl where he set a record running 498 yards behind the line of scrimmage over the 60 minutes of that football game. That's not scrambling. That's running for your damn life. I mean, Mahomes was uncomfortable. He had no time to breathe, let alone throw the ball that entire Super Bowl. And that's Todd Bowles. I mean, he knew his strengths. He had a fast linebacking core. You look at Devin White and Jason Pierre-Paul coming off the edge. I mean, you had speed, you had hard hitters and Shaq Barrett and Levante David. And up front, I mean, you know, I talked about bully ball in the last segment in respect to Armando Baycott and, you know, big centers in basketball. You want to talk about bullying? And Dominican Sue, Vita Vea, those guys bullied the battered, undermanned, injured Kansas City Chiefs offensive line in that Super Bowl. Todd Bowles schematically had a perfect game. Didn't let Patrick Mahomes in the end zone. You do that, that is a perfect game. So he's earned the right to be a head coach again. And I thought that there were going to be teams jumping at the bits to hire Todd Bowles. But I've talked about that in past episodes of Serralo Sports Talk. You know, of course, the glaring issues that the NFL has with minority and specifically with black head coaches and having so many qualified candidates stuck in coordinator positions, stuck in limbo for years. Guys like Eric Bieniemy, Leftwich, Bowles up until now. So I, I've, I've detailed those issues. I spoke a ton about it during my shows at Radio Row this year in LA leading up to the Super Bowl. But Todd Bowles gets another crack. It is so well-deserved. And unlike a lot of blackhead coaches who inherit teams that are, you know, there's a reason that they need a new head coach, right? These teams are not in good places. Todd Bowles instantly inherits a top two team in the NFC, right? The NFC is a two-dog race. You have the AFC, where it's like any team in the AFC West can win the Super Bowl. Three teams in the AFC North can win the Super Bowl. You've got... 11 teams that I could see winning 10 games in that conference. And then you have the NFC, where I truthfully only see one of two teams emerging, and it's the two reigning champs, either the Tampa Bay Buccaneers or the Los Angeles Rams. Now, people have said, well, Joe, what about the 49ers? And they just have too big of a question mark at quarterback. I mean, the defense is great. Debo Samuel is a Swiss Army knife. He can do anything and do it well on offense, but he doesn't throw the ball. And until the 49ers show me that they have a quarterback who can win a big game, not get to a big game, but win a big game. And until Kyle Shanahan shows me that he can actually not just get a lead, but preserve a lead and finish in the postseason. Kyle Shanahan, when he was the offensive coordinator, Atlanta was up 28-3 against New England, couldn't run the damn ball. The Falcons had no semblance of a running game that entire Super Bowl. Couldn't get a first down once when they needed it most. One first down, would have iced that game. We all know it. And Kyle Shanahan couldn't run the ball, couldn't orchestrate a run game out of his Falcons. Super Bowl against Kansas City. 49ers were up in that fourth quarter. Kyle Shanahan got the lead. He couldn't preserve it. NFC Championship game this year gets a double-digit fourth quarter lead against the Rams at the Rams. Cannot 
preserve it. So until he shows me he can just not get a lead, but actually hold one for 60 minutes, until Jimmy G shows me he can go a big game without making a big mistake, I can't get on the 49ers train. Folks, it's the Bucks and it's the Rams. I mean, the Rams have only gotten better. Is Robert Woods a big loss? Yes. Is it going to kill them? Not at all. Not at all. I mean, they got Allen Robinson, right? Now, you can argue that's an upgrade. You can argue Robert Woods is better. I- I'm not going to, I love them both. I'm not going to sit here and pick and choose, you know, which one I'd rather have. Obviously, I'd rather have the healthy one. And, you know, lately that's proven to be Robinson. But the Rams got better. Bobby Wagner, you know, the Seahawks went full fold, full rebuild in cutting him loose. And the Rams just rewarded him with a five year deal. I mean, Bobby Wagner is still one of the best middle linebackers in the game. So you take a scary, dangerous defense. I know losing Von Miller hurts, but we all knew he was a rental. You take one of the best defenses in football and you just gave them a first ballot Hall of Fame middle linebacker. My goodness, the Rams have gotten better. The Buccaneers, I mean, yes, they lost Antonio Brown late last season. How much does that hurt them? I don't know. I don't know. Losing Jordan Whitehead to me is their biggest loss. Not Ronald Jones, not Antonio Brown. Jordan Whitehead because the Bucs already had a very shaky secondary. I don't love that secondary by any means, but their front seven is just so darn powerful. Like I said, fast in the linebacking core, powerful up front. That front seven almost makes up for that lack of a secondary. And it's not like the Rams have the best secondary either. I mean, the Rams have more question marks at safety. They're a little better off at cornerback than Tampa, but they have more question marks at safety where, you know, they had to get Eric Weddle to come out of a two-year retirement and tear his peck to win a Super Bowl. He had a phenomenal stretch down the playoffs. How they're going to replace him, it's going to be tough. But, you know, both of these teams, do they have small blemishes? Absolutely. But overall, they're overwhelmingly the best two teams in the NFC. So now to see Todd Bowles get a chance to hopefully, ideally in a perfect world, get to at least a conference championship game after he, he you know, put in his time, put in hard time, paid his dues as the head coach of the Jets. It's going to be rewarding to see, not only because he himself is a great coach, but because he's a great black coach getting a chance to be a head coach in this league and hopefully not being set up for failure like so many black coaches we've seen before him, you know, like Steve Wilkes in Arizona a couple of years ago, given no roster and one season to go three and 13 before the Cardinals already behind the scenes had Cliff Kingsbury lined up. So Bowles will get a chance and a chance to be successful this season. And I can't wait to see what he does with that opportunity. There is one rumor I want to put to bed before ESPN's Dan Orlovsky hops on the show and we talk quarterback movement, we talk draft and more. I I do want to put to bed the rumor that Tom Brady pushed Bruce Arians out. You know, there's no doubt that these two were not in love and that they were not seeing eye to eye in full by the end of their two years together. I mean, look, Bruce Arians is a hard ass, right? You're dealing with two stubborn guys, two greats at what they do respectively. Obviously, Brady the GOAT, Arians, he's no Belichick, but he's a phenomenal head coach. Two guys that know football better than most people in the room. Two guys that bleed football, live and breathe it. There's going to be clash, right? Tom Brady got into screaming matches with Bill O'Brien. Tom Brady clashed with Belichick. I'd actually say Brady and Arians probably at this point in time have a better relationship than Brady and Belichick. So I don't think a huge deal should be made. I don't think a story should be blown up that Brady pushed Bruce Arians out when he probably realistically had a better relationship with Bruce Arians than he did or at least does now with Bill Belichick. 
I think Arians saw that the time was right, got out, left Todd Bowles in a position to be successful. Arians is taking a front office role. If they win, he still gets a ring. And he saw what it was like potentially having to rebuild when Brady retired and realized, shoot, I want nothing to do with Kyle Trask as my quarterback and, you know, a big question mark in my future. When we return on the Believe Hour here on SportsMap Radio, ESPN's Dan Orlovsky joins the show. I can't wait for this spot, so stick with me, Joe Sorallo, right here on this episode of Sorallo Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Map Radio. Joe Sorallo here, taking you through the hour with this episode of Sorallo Sports Talk on this Saturday afternoon as we get ready to head into a couple Final Four matchups. But joining us now to talk a little football, he is a former NFL quarterback and the best analyst in the game. It's ESPN's Dan Orlovsky. Dan, it's great to hear your voice again, man. How you doing? I'm doing great, Joe. Good to be with you, bud. Congrats. Hopefully you're crushing it and having fun. And, and I'm excited to talk football as usual with you, man. Yeah, this is such a fun full circle moment for me. Obviously, had you on for the first time back when I was a sophomore in college. And now to have you on my first national show, it feels surreal, Dan. But I want to start with uh, with the AFC West. You know, there's no question on paper. It's the toughest division in football. So are the Kansas City Chiefs still your top dogs out there? Or is there another team that you're high on to dethrone them this season? No, no. The, as I sit here today, I think the best team in the division is the Denver Broncos. I think they're the, the most complete roster. Um, I think the Broncos have two things or probably three things that I don't believe as of yet the Chiefs have. Top five defense, the Broncos, with the addition of Randy Gregory and the youth in their secondary and how good that secondary is, got a chance to be a top five, top seven defensive unit. I think that the scheme that they employ with Nathaniel Hackett coming over from Green Bay and being their new head coach play caller, it is that Mike Shanahan, Gary Kubiak, Kyle Shanahan offense. And I believe it's the only team within that division that can play in a style offensively that's necessary to what the defense demands of it. You know, we don't believe, or I certainly don't, that when teams are going to challenge and dare the Chargers, the Chiefs, as of now, or the Raiders to run the football, not only do it, but be able to win a game doing it and then win a stretch of games doing it outside of the Denver Broncos because that scheme is proven. We'll see what happens in the draft. I think that the Chiefs, you take solace in understanding we have the best coach, the best quarterback, and the best offensive line in the division. Um, But I think the most complete team that I believe in the most is the Broncos as of today. That's that's amazing. And this is what I love about the division because just a few days ago, I was talking to Leger Duzable, obviously had a long NFL career just like you did. And he's a great analyst now, just like you. And we went through team by team and he said the Broncos, as great as they look, were his, uh, his pick to finish in last place. And that's what's amazing about this division is, you know, anyone can finish anywhere in it. So looking at Mahomes and the obstacles that he faces now, obviously with Tyreek Hill being gone, going to the Miami Dolphins. What's going to be the biggest change in his game that we see? Well, I think it's going to be the minimization of the RPO, the run-pass option in their offense. You know, with Patrick and his really his youth, and I say that he's only going into his fifth year, but as, when he was young and Tyreek was younger, you know, they made the RPO such a fundamental and foundational piece of their offense. And it was a... a probably the right decision. I mean, it won him a Super Bowl in many ways. 
And I think that part of the move from Tyreek is attached to their desire to get away from that a little bit, to their desire to go, we got one of the, if not the best offensive lines in football. So I do think it's going to be a little bit more of Patrick handing the ball off on called run plays and being more committed to being that kind of dual threat type of offense. And then I think it's going to be Patrick playing a little bit more drop back football and not catch and throw football. Patrick was the quarterback in the NFL who threw the ball at or behind the line of scrimmage the most last year. We don't correlate that because he's got such a big arm and such a talented thrower, but I think we'll see them play a little bit more spread out drop back football, allow him to see the whole field and go through progressions and create some big plays that way, rather than trying to scheme up formationally some of their RPO game. And Dan, I want to look at a team that I find to be the most intriguing in that division. And that's the Las Vegas Raiders. I don't know if I'm sold on their coach entirely with Josh McDaniels. We saw, you know, with Denver, he didn't have the most successful tenure, but Derek Carr is a phenomenal quarterback. And it's kind of crazy to sit here and say right now, he's probably the fourth best quarterback in that division. You know, what do the Raiders need to go right for them to, uh, to potentially compete with Kansas City, with Denver, and of course, with the Chargers as well? Yeah, I would tell you that the Raiders question marks are pretty similar to the Chargers. Mm-hmm. Who's going to play on the right side of their offensive line? You know, I've said this about the Chargers in relation to the draft. If they take a right guard or right tackle and they get a 60% player that they did in Rashawn Slater, their left tackle from last year, you can make the case it's the most talented roster in football. And I think that's the conversation attached to the Raiders is who's going to play on the right side of their offensive line. I feel like the left side and interior is, is solid, but who's and how well are they going to play? Um, how much are they going to utilize Josh Jacobs as a pass catching threat? Because you've got Devonte, you've got Renfro and you've got Darren Waller. And you've also got three tight ends on that roster that are good. So I think offensively they've got the right kind of chess pieces to be really, really, really good. Um, it's that, that's my question for them offensively. And then for defensively, Patrick Graham comes over defensive coordinator from the New York giants. I think my two questions are, what does he do with Jonathan Abram? Their safety. That's a really good football player, but how do they use him? Because I can make the case. He's probably better as a, you know, in the box linebacker, so to speak, but that's not really a big part of the, the, the scheme that he's going to bring over. And then, does the group of, you know, does the combination of Chandler Jones, who comes over from Arizona, and Max Crosby, do they dominate on the perimeter in this Patrick Graham scheme the way they, they did in Gus Bradley's cover three scheme that is predicated on those edge rushers playing dominant football and they're teed up to? You know, I want to see just how Patrick Graham is going to deploy some of those talented pieces defensively. Very good team. Very good team. Um, but I, I've got a little bit of unknown attached to them. Yeah, I definitely think Patrick Graham was a huge loss for my Giants this offseason. And I have the same question marks surrounding Abram. I'm with you. I think he's probably more effective as a run-stopping linebacker. And, you know, that changes the whole scheme of the defense. But if you're just joining us here on this episode of Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo, it's ESPN analyst Dan Orlovsky on the other end of the line. Hey, Dan, quarterback movement has been the craziest this offseason. <laughs> that we've ever seen. You've got Deshaun in Cleveland, Matt Ryan in Indy, just the latest moves. 
What situations do you think make the most sense for some other guys out there who are available via trade, Baker Mayfield and, of course, Jimmy G? I think starting with Baker, you know, I think the best situation for him is to go be a backup quarterback in Tampa Bay. A um, couple of reasons. I think you can look at over the past couple of years and use some evidence to say that that doesn't mean that's the end of your career as a starter. Ryan Tannehill goes from Miami to Tennessee. Now he's a $100 million starting quarterback. Jameis Winston takes the backup role behind Drew Brees. Even coming off of a torn ACL, just signs for $30 million. Marcus Mariota goes to backup role in Las Vegas, signs for $20 million in Atlanta. I think to go to Tampa Bay, decompress a little bit, which ended up being just an incredibly emotional situation for him in Cleveland. Learn from Brady. And I don't think the, the, the move from Cleveland, because here's the thing, Joe, last two weeks ago or last week during the press conference with the announcement and the introduction of Deshaun Watson, Andrew Barry, the general manager for the Browns, said they had been doing their homework on Deshaun for five months. That takes us into the middle of the NFL season in November. Cleveland had moved on from Baker in the middle of that season. They're not doing that strictly because of the on-the-field performance. There's got to be some stuff off the field that Baker's got to assess. Am I doing it the right way? Is it good enough leadership-wise? Is the personality where it needs to be? And you got to be able to go pull from a guy like Tom Brady some of that stuff. Now, if he wants to go be competitive, maybe it's you know Carolina, maybe it's Seattle, but I don't believe that's the best play for the long run. For, for Jimmy G, I just think that the likeliest situation is, one, you're going to be in, in San Francisco – and probably start or two, wait uh, for a potential, potential, you know, God forbid, injury to a starting quarterback in camp. Interesting stuff, Dan. Hey, the NFL draft is less than a month away. You know, there's a, a lot of uncertainty in this draft. Obviously, it's stacked with edge rushers and offensive linemen. But when you look at the quarterback position, where do you see that first domino falling in the draft? I mean, Detroit at two, I think, would shock a lot of people. There's that sweet spot between six and nine, Carolina, Atlanta, Seattle. When and where do you see that domino falling? Yeah, I don't, I don't believe that Detroit takes a quarterback at two, nor do I think they should. Their team isn't good enough to support a rookie quarterback, and they're not ready to do it. Six, Carolina, I, I would tell you this, Joe. If, if Carolina is going to take a cat at six, it should be Malik Willis because – I go back to the Giants taking Daniel Jones at six a couple years ago. He's a good player, but when I'm taking you at that spot at six, you better have things that I can't coach in you. And Kenny Pickett from Pitt is a good player. I think he's got some really intriguing physical talent, but he doesn't have anything I can't coach in him. So I'm not taking him at six. Malik Willis at least has physical talent and playmaking ability that I can't coach. So I can understand Carolina doing it at six with Matt Rule trying to jumpstart this organization. Atlanta, I look at the same way. If you're going to take one there, make sure it's Malik Willis because he's got those physical traits. The guy that I guess I'm most interested about in relation to draft slot would be Cincinnati's Desmond Ritter. Did a bunch of his games in his career. I just think he's got the best feet in this class, um, but I think he's more likely – a second round pick. So all those teams that I just mentioned, Detroit may be in the second round, Carolina trade back from the six and acquire a second round pick. I think that's the guy that I sit there and I feel best about where you're taking him. 
given the type of player he is. That's interesting, Dan, because you you read my mind. Desmond Ritter is my favorite quarterback in this class. I loved watching him the last two years. And what about his game? Because you've done a lot of them, like you just mentioned. What impresses you the most? You mentioned his footwork. Uh, and what else out there are you looking for from a guy who, you know, isn't a power conference quarterback despite his success and going to the playoff? Yeah, first of all, physically, he's everything you want in, in the quarterback position nowadays in football. He is big. He's incredibly athletic. Uh, he's got long speed, quick twitch within the pocket, uh, more than capable as a thrower. Mentioned he's got the best feet in this draft. What I mean by that is his feet are more often than not in rhythm with the timing of the passing game and ready to throw indifferent of um, pressure or no pressure. Now he's not one of those guys that can have his feet all over the place and make all the necessary throws, but he's a guy that constantly reminds me a little bit of Trevor Lawrence in this regard, that his feet are always going to be in position and ready to throw one to two to three. Um, I think that because he's got so many reps and has seen so many different snaps and he's got such a, kind of Rolodex of information of what to do with the football, given what the scheme is and dependent upon the coverage, you watch him play at a pretty consistently high level. And that's intriguing to me. I don't think he's got talent that is going to go, holy smokes, this guy, but I think he's got enough in his game to become a starting quarterback in the NFL. Yes. Dan, you're the best. Thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it, man. Be good, Joe. When we return, it's my final segment here on this episode of Serralo Sports Talk on the Believe Hour on Sports Map Radio. As promised, I've got some World Series predictions to hand out. I'm going to tell you the two teams that I think will be the last two standing come November, and of course, who my MLB champs will be. When we return on Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo, as part of the Believe Hour on Sports Map Radio. All right, it's time for my final word here on this episode of Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo, as we conclude the Believe Hour on this Saturday afternoon edition on SportsMap Radio as we get you ready for the Final Four. Look, I'm a man of my word, and I promised you at the top of the hour, at the top of the show, that I would not sign off these airwaves until I gave you my preseason, spring training, I should say, World Series prediction. So here it is. I think that for the first time since 2009, we are in store for an East Coast World Series matchup. First time since the Phillies took on the Yankees back in 09, except this year. I'm calling for the Toronto Blue Jays to reach their first World Series since 1992 and take on my New York Mets. And I'm picking my New York Mets. To win the whole damn thing, by the way. I think that the New York Mets have the best postseason roster in baseball. What do I mean by postseason roster? I mean a roster that's not built to have the most wins after 162 games necessarily, but a roster that when the season comes down to a five-game series and a couple of seven-game series is the one best constructed to win. And that all comes down to starting pitching. Look, we saw these Mets not too long ago, seven years ago, make it to a World Series when they had the fewest wins of any National League team to make the postseason. Why did they go so far? Why did they make it to the World Series? Because of starting pitching. Starting pitching, once you get into the postseason, is the most crucial, most important thing that you can have. 
And if you thought that Mets rotation in 2015 was stellar, this Mets rotation in 2022 is even better. Jacob deGrom in 2015, that was probably the fourth or fifth best year of his career. He has only gotten better. Add Max Scherzer, another first ballot Hall of Famer, much like deGrom to the rotation. The New York Mets, in my opinion, have the two best pitchers in baseball, two best starting pitchers in the same rotation. Chris Bassett, he is a low-end ace, high-end number two on any other team. He's our number three. Taiwan Walker and Carlos Carrasco, a couple of former All-Stars in and of their own right, rounded out. I'm telling you, at the end of the day, the New York Mets are my pick to win the World Series because that pitching is unrivaled. And just like that, this episode of Serralo Sports Talk is up. It's over. It's out of here. Special thanks to Dan Orlovsky for joining the show. Special thanks to all of you for listening on this Saturday afternoon. Guys, go enjoy the Final Four. That does it for the Believe Hour on Sports Map Radio. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.